Welcome to this week's episode of the Rockfit Files. I'm Rocky Snyder, and this week we get to chat with Nancy Addison. Now, Nancy is a nutritionist and health consultant, as well as being a number one best-selling author, an international award-winning author, by the way, a radio show host and lecturer, and she's helped thousands of people overcome health disorders. In fact, her books were written after years of research to find a cure for her own health problems. Kind of frustrated with conventional medicine, she embarked on a long course of study into many different healing concepts, including ancient Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, uh, macrobiotics, uh, a whole bunch of other things, including detoxifying the body and supplement therapy. So welcome on the show, Nancy. We just jump in right in the middle of the conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, before we get going, I should point out that Nancy is also one of the contributing authors to The Successful Body. Now, this book is featuring about 33 world-class experts in the field of fitness, nutrition, mindfulness, and other things. So if you want a copy of The Successful Body, be sure to follow me on Instagram, Rocky underscore Snyder. And this week, I will draw one name out of the bunch of new followers and send you a copy of The Successful Body. Good luck. Tell me, how is it that you and Eric connected? Was that through LinkedIn or have you known Eric for a while with Successful Body? Um, you know, he contacted me a while back and we were just kind of chatting in chat rooms uh, here and there mm -hmm. and connecting over health and nutrition. And, uh, and then when he decided to do this book and he asked me to be a part of it, uh, I was very honored, and and since I'm an author and I write a lot, <laughs> that that is something that was easy um, or you know fairly easy for me to put together something for for his book. Yeah. So um, it was really it was really great, and I was even more honored that he put it as chapter number one. <laughs> so. Very nice. Well, that's great. Then. Uh, I would love to obviously talk a little bit about what you put in the chapter, how you contributed to the successful body, but I would really just love to talk about organic living, uh, organic, organic lifestyle, healthy eating, and what that truly means, and uh, what organic truly means. Maybe a little bit of a background, uh, if you have a test kitchen, or if that's your husband's stomach, or whatever the case may be, you know, just have a nice, easygoing conversation. Uh, about uh, the the joys of organic living and maybe also in places within our nation that slowly organic foods are starting to eat, seek their ways into the, uh, the certain communities but uh, compared to like the urban areas like how is it that people can can uh, just seek out a way of living organically right um, I've, I've really been a huge proponent of the organic living probably now 35 years. Excellent. So I started when my children were one and uh, two years old. <laughs> wow. And I was married to an environmental trial lawyer at the time, and he started finding out and doing environmental impact studies on food quality, water runoff, uh, toxins at farms. Uh, toxins in the air, uh, electromagnetic fields. And I'm just an environmental uh, enthusiast, mm -hmm. really. Um, 
my my children always told me I should be a forest ranger. <laughs> they said that would be my perfect job. <laughs> but uh, I grew up with a farm and we always had a big garden and we always had fruit trees and fresh food on the table. And when I had two babies at home, I decided I was going to raise them as healthy as I possibly could. And I started researching nutrition and I was researching it as much for myself as I was for my children because I had struggled with a lot of health situations my whole life um, that really began with an overdose of penicillin when I was two. Mm. But as, as I started researching this, I started finding out, and this was way before computers, so I was having to really delve in at the libraries and into books and things. I started learning that genetically modified foods have poison built into them and that a lot of the, the large bumblebees were going extinct because they were starving to death because the, the genetically modified plants don't have any nectar in the in the flowers and they were well it was starving the pollinators to death and if there is any uh, uh, nectar in them then it is toxic and it can kill them so i joined a seed exchange company and we started an organic garden and uh, it was about that time I was reading a very large article in Life magazine on the new farming practices where they were raising all these animals with lots and lots of hormones to make them fatter faster. Mm -hmm. And they were raising them in these what I would call inhumane conditions where they were packed together so tight they could hardly move. They didn't have fresh air and fresh sunshine, which I think is essential for life in general. Yes. And it, it, I'm an animal lover. I grew up riding horses and I, I'm an international certified wildlife rehabilitator. And I've been rehabbing animals really all my life. And I just looked at these graphic pictures in the life magazine and i just could not support that type of industry anymore and being aware of that so i decided i was also going to go plant-based and uh and i really I, I started on that road and as i reversed all the health challenges i'd had my whole life I, I realized I was on the right path. And when my pediatrician told me I had the healthiest children he had ever seen, um, I felt pretty good about that. And I thought, well, I'm just gonna stick with this. And so I studied at Cordon Bleu in London uh, when I was in college. And I also studied Chinese gastronomy there. Mm. And uh, so I, I learned a lot about cooking, but I realized at Cordon Bleu, I was learning delicious cooking, but it wasn't necessarily healthy. You know, it was white refined flour, it was white sugar, it was a lot of ingredients that I was finding out weren't the best quality. So what I've done over the last 35 years is learn how to choose quality and to really look at, you know, this salt is not the same as that salt. And which salt is better for you and should we have salt 
And, you know, so many people really wonder and struggle with a lot of these different types of things. But what I found is quality makes a huge difference. And, uh, and that um, most of what I do now, uh, especially with writing my books, and uh, I've got six books now, I have one new one coming out uh, shortly. But all my books are half cookbook because I feel like once people are so smart, once they know why to do something or how to do something, then they can implement it. And I started seeing that a lot of plant-based cooks or people that were promoting healthy cooking didn't actually know how to prepare the foods properly and in the best quality way so that they didn't have enzyme inhibitors in them or phytic acid, which is an, an makes your food undigestible. And so I, I've really in the last 10 to 15 years started teaching a lot of medical professionals because mm -hmm. they started seeking me out mainly because my doctor was referring them to me even before I had any credentials. And um, I'd have doctors bring their whole family to spend a weekend with me and do like a cooking nutrition weekend. And they were even coming from out of state. And so then uh, Dr. Michael Hall, who was a, a neurologist teaching at the Chiropractic University in, at Parker University in Dallas, uh, asked me if I would teach his classes, the healing diet. And so I, I've done that for five years, teaching uh, the chiropractic students. And um, most of these doctors uh, would have their students get like my How to Be a Healthy Vegetarian book, which is indexed, at, he, they would recommend them get it as their uh, nutritional resource for their practice. So I've got, I've got quite a few doctors that use my, my books as a nutritional resource, but I think part of my information is a little more expansive than someone who just maybe went to nutrition school and studied you know, just nutrition. Uh, because I have, I'm being married to an environmental trial lawyer for 23 years and learning a lot of environmental information about toxins and herbicides and GMOs and, and different qualities of food gives me a little more of an expansive knowledge of things that were actually locked up in the court and not public knowledge. Um, because they would seal these, <laughs> they would seal these court cases so that you would not know <laughs> sure. so it, um i don't know it just gave me a little different insight and so i come to the table of nutrition and health with um, a little different um mindset i, I suppose towards it and um now i, I have studied plant-based nutrition at cornell with t colin campbell and uh, become a raw food chef and got some credentials, uh, health counseling from Columbia University. And um, then I've just, I've studied cooking all over the world, Cambodia, Thailand, South Africa, Brazil, uh, different places that have these beautiful spices and all these different types of, of ethnic cooking that can really benefit our health. So I've just kind of merged them all together. And I really do think that most people, if they can, you know, understand how to pick out the quality, uh, I think it's much easier than they might think on really getting 
the best nutrition. And when we, what we eat becomes our cell, our bloods, our blood and our tissue. So how could it not directly affect our health? And I'm 66 now. And um, my doctor who referred, started referring me clients you know, many, many years ago before I even had credentials, before I even knew I wanted to do health counseling. Um, she retired about 20 years ago. And since you know, I never, never got sick, I never really needed her anymore. I just never bothered to get another doctor because I hmm. never get sick. <laughs> and I just, you know, I use food and lifestyle and um, as my medicine, you know. Um. You, you said selecting the right foods and in terms of the, the quality, what are the best ways to do that? What do you suggest in terms of selecting the quality? Of course, there's, there's the basic understanding that we're going to do leafy, colorful vegetables and so on. But even within there, how they're grown and, and uh, conventional organic, obviously we're going to go with organic, but within the organic realm, what do you recommend for selecting the highest quality food? That's a, that's a great question. And I, 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 what I would say is you wanna eat locally and you wanna eat seasonally. And the fresh, freshest food that is vine ripened and tree ripened are really the best. They have salvestrols in them, which are natural disease fighting properties that are not in food that are picked green. And so a food that's picked green, maybe around the world, you know, and they pack it in a box and maybe they're even pumping hexane gas in it to get it right by the time it gets to the store. It may be five days old and it's going to have completely different properties in it than one that is picked locally and fresh and you know, maybe only a day or two old. So I tell people, you know, look for a local farmer, look for local farmers markets, make friends, maybe even start your own little garden, even if it's just some herbs and really get the joy of that fresh food and make sure you're getting certified organic non-GMO seeds. You don't want seeds that have poison built into them. You can't wash that off. And and I think that is a really important thing. And these genetically modified seeds can cause sterility and all types of organ damage. And they've, they've really censored those tests, um, but, but they are out there. Well, fortunately for, for myself and my family and these people in the community of Santa Cruz, we are rich with farmer's markets. And I could tell you almost every day of the week within Santa Cruz County, there is a farmer's market. There's one right around the corner from us every Saturday from seven to one. And, and what's really nice is that there's, like you say, there's, there's, so, there's a whole bunch of things to select. So let's just take somebody that isn't familiar with the farmer's market and they're, they're going there. You've already mentioned, you know, you want to get organic certified foods. Uh, what types of foods are we talking about? Uh, nut, are nuts and fruits, vegetables, and what about meat? Although earlier you mentioned that you're, you're really into plant-based, but if those people weren't yet ready to transition to a plant-based diet, what kind of meats should they be selecting? Oh, absolutely. Those are all great questions. And really most of the people I work with are not vegetarian and they don't want to be vegetarian. I'm, I'm from Texas and 
people people here like to have you know their meat but what what i teach them is how to pick that highest quality and then add more vegetables to your diet add more fresh fruits and vegetables to your diet don't just have steak and potatoes or something like that but even with the meats you want to look for quality so you know 100% grass-fed organic uh, animal products i call them creature products because it just kind of incorporates all, everything <laughs> creature products um you you want to buy them that are humanely raised um i really do think that impacts the quality and uh, i also think that it's easier to find those places if, if you really are looking for them so when you go to a farmer's market really put at the top of your list you're looking for organic and some of these farmers, they may actually be growing organic, but the cost of being certified might be over their budget. And some of the smaller farmers may not be able to do that. But even around like Dallas, I, I went out and I checked out some of the farmers that were not certified, but were saying that they were organic. If you go to their farm and there are worm castings on the ground, you know that that property is probably organic. Herbicides and things will wipe out the infrastructure in your soil and it won't have, you won't have, you know, all of these wonderful different parts of the web of life that are important for our, our, our life. <laughs> but, um, you know, get to know some of your local farmers and if they say that they're organic or they grow organically, you know, get to know them and, and you know, see if your heart tells you that, you know, that's right. And, you know, look at the quality of your food. And if you are not used to eating vegetables or fruit in its whole real form, and you don't think they taste good, give your taste buds a chance to change because our taste buds change over a period of two weeks. And if you start eating a new food that maybe it doesn't taste right, initially, because you're used to eating processed foods or foods that have, um, chemicals or artificial ingredients in it, you know, stick with it for two weeks and, and you'll be surprised how much your taste buds will, will change and start to appreciate it. And then the antioxidants that we, I know we all hear about, but they are actually the color pigment in the food. So mm -hmm. what you wanna do is you wanna look for foods that are, you know, vibrant and fresh and beautiful bright colors and wild foods that are harvested like um like blueberries they're gonna have this this vibrancy to them that are not in cultivated foods because they are survivor foods and those are actually more powerful for us and so when we hear the word superfood that's food that's got lots of nutrition in it because so much of the food today is, is grown in a commercial way that does not have all the nutrition in it because the herbicides and pesticides that they use on the soil can destroy the minerals and the nutrients in the soil. And so the food won't, won't have all of the nutrition that you're looking for. And so I always say, if you wanna get you know, the most for your money, then you wanna buy quality. And also our dollars are very, very powerful or our money, wherever you are in the world. 
And I believe that every every time we spend something, we are voting for that person. You know, we're going to vote for that organic farmer to survive and thrive. You know, we're whoever we're supporting with what we spend our money on. You know, that that's it's kind of like a vote. Uh, who do you want? in your neighborhood farming well me personally i'd like somebody who's growing things environmentally sound uh protecting the environment and growing food that i want to eat <laughs> and uh so you know i don't know i hope that helps <laughs> yeah i'm just curious though because i know well living where i am we are right near the salinas valley the northern edge of the san fernando valley of course san joaquin valley excuse me where it's it's known as the salad bowl of the world and we've just got such amazing agriculture out here but we also because of that there is a lot of political power and lobbyists in california uh, they have their own guidelines and definitions of what organic farming is. As I understand it, the federal government has its own kind of parameters and how it defines organic farming. And there's discrepancies between one state and another. So are there certain states that you're aware of that have the weakest parameters and guidelines when it comes to organic farming? Uh, or is it fairly safe across the board when you see certified organic, no matter what state you're in, that you can have a pretty high level of faith that this is the food you want? Well, that's a that's a tricky question right there because you know, people you you're gonna have to trust somebody at some point. Heart <laughs> will make you crazy. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna put in my earbuds because I'm having a large storm right now. Ah. <laughs> and I want you to hear me over the thunder. <laughs> oh, that's great. I mean, we're having a deluge right here. Um, so all uh, the organic certification board has been slowly watered down over the years um, because a lot of top officials and various companies that are not organic uh, have infiltrated the board and they've approved certain things that are not organic. So there's well over 250 ingredients now that they can add to organic foods that are not organic and probably shouldn't be in them. So um, I look for, you know, reading the ingredients, looking where it's sourced. Uh, you want to know what country it's from. Certain countries like Europe, they have much stronger laws against using certain herbicides and, and toxins. Where and Mexico, Mexico is act, is actually uh, very good and strong against certain toxic chemicals on the food. But also, you want to look locally and get to know some of your farmers, and really talk to them, and uh, and see if you can buy seasonally. It's going to be less expensive. It's going to be fresher if it's seasonal. You want to have variety in your diet. And you want to look into maybe what is in your state. I'm afraid I can't tell you which states are maybe the best or, or the worst. Um, I mean, there it's a, with Texas, it's a hit and miss kind of thing, kind of everywhere you are. Uh -huh. And I really do encourage people to, you know, maybe start your own garden. You know, after at 
during World War II, everybody had a garden. They called them victory gardens. And it didn't matter where you lived. Even if you had an apartment in New York, you might have a little container garden at your window or on your patio or on your balcony. And I really highly recommend this today because times are a little unpredictable right now. And you want to be able to have access to maybe growing a little bit of your own food if you can. Leafy greens are extremely easy to grow and you can grow those very uh, quickly. And um, I even put in my vegetarian book, I even have directions on how to, how to do all of this. And you know, even if you just did sprouts in your, in your kitchen, you can just soak seeds in good quality water overnight or for a day or two, and then put them in a, a like a sieve and then just keep them moist with good, a good quality water. And I say that you wanna use water that doesn't have chlorine and fluoride and different toxins in it, but you want it to also have minerals in it because you want your seeds and your plants to have minerals in it. And if you're growing it yourself, you're much more likely to be able to control the whole quality of your food. You know, the water, the air, the soil, the seed. And you can just, when they start to sprout, then you can put them in the sunlight and they'll start getting that beautiful green chlorophyll color, which is so powerful and helpful for our health. And in that green color is that chlorophyll is so powerful it's a great detoxifier but it also is an oxygenate your blood and it's got tons of nutrition in it and so microgreens so a little bit bigger than a sprout or like i always buy baby greens at the store if i'm buying baby greens or if i'm buying uh, leafy greens because they will have about 40 percent more nutrition in them than a full-grown plant because it's so concentrated. So I call them the superfoods. Um, and, and I think also, uh, if you're looking for things like spinach, uh, a, a microgreen is going to have less or no oxalic acid in it, whereas in a full-grown spinach plant, they'll have some oxalic acid, which is uh, not as good for your health as, as the one that doesn't have it. Um, so you know, some of these uh, larger leafy greens uh, can have some heavy metals and some, some different components to it, like oxalic acid. So having the microgreens or the smaller ones is, is really a great way to go. Is that and in general? Because like for myself, I am the cook in the family and I worked in restaurants for a number of years before becoming a personal trainer and so on. And I've got my, my half wine barrel casks along my driveway and it's my herb garden. So I've got rosemary and cilantro. I've got thyme and basil coming up. I've got some green onions. And of course I've got tomato plants that are, that are just starting out in the last few weeks here. But like my rosemary bush, it is, it's very, very successful in, in this area. In fact, you can go to parking areas in town and there's large rosemary bushes that you can just pluck from. It's remarkable. But what I'm wondering though, Nancy, is, is that should I be cutting back on the, the plants themselves to, so that I, I am uh, not getting them so grown and reducing the, the contents in the, the foods themselves when I harvest them? Well, that, that is an excellent question. And I think it depends on the plant. For like rosemary, ugh, I love rosemary bushes. I mean, that is one of my absolute favorites. And I love just rubbing my hands on it and smelling it. <laughs> 
when, when my kids were growing up, I would pick rosemary off of my rosemary bushes that I had grown and I'd put it in their pockets. And people don't realize it, but these essential oils, they lift your spirits, but they also improve your brain activity. So the, the essential oils in like rosemary has been studied to improve your brain activity powerfully. So it is uh, like mint, like peppermint. Mm. And so my children always had sprigs of rosemary or peppermint in their pockets, especially on days if they were gonna have exams or have to write papers. And it gives them a lift. And of course, it also is like having your, your love in their pocket. So they're carrying you around with them during the day. Um, I appreciate you saying that because um, we have a tremendous amount of essential oils. I love cooking with the essential oils, whether it's with lime or lemon or lemongrass. And it's so potent, that flavor that all you really need is a drop for most dishes. You don't need to overindulge with those. But tell me more about the, like the, the importance of essential oils, especially if you can't grow all these foods. Am I getting a good deal from the oils themselves? So you want to get therapeutic brand oils. And if you're cooking with them, you want to make sure they're food grade. So they need to be uh, processed at a lower temperature for a longer period of time to be therapeutic. And many of the ones on the market, especially in the United States, are, are not done that way. And frequently, they aren't even the right type of plant. But I'm a huge proponent of essential oils, which is really the life force in the plant. And so what they found is that a lot of dried teas or herbs, they don't have that vibrancy. And if you add a little bit of the essential oil to them, it ignites it and it actually makes it much more therapeutic. But the essential oils can pass the blood brain barrier and they can oxygenate the cell and they have been studied for centuries for healing and i absolutely love historic remedies like that because i think they're incredible and i use a lot of food grade ones in my cooking and also to detoxify so a uh, funny little little thing i learned a few years ago and my daughter and i learned this from a holistic dentist in new york but if you put rosemary oil for instance on the bottom of your feet it helps pull radiation from your body. Mm. And we get wow. over radiated uh, using cell phones or computers uh, or, or just being around a lot of Wi-Fi. And so just doing something as simple as that, that actually feels good and smells good, is <laughs> a great way to help you detoxify. But um, also getting back to the garden, I just wanna say every year, I try to let at least one plant go to seed because you're going to find that, and I like to plant a different, a couple of different varieties of each one, because one of them may do better in your soil and your area than another one. And the one that's really thriving, I let it go to seed and I save my seeds. And that way, you know, those plants that you're going to plant with those seeds the next year are going to thrive and they're going to do really well in your, your container or your soil or your environment. And so all you do is you let them go to seed and then when they get kind of brown color, you, you can put them in a paper bag and let them dry. And then after they're completely dry, you know, trying to make sure you get all the seeds off, uh, then I would put them in like a, a baggie or something and maybe put them in the refrigerator or keep them from getting too hot. 
but saving your seeds is a, a real blessing. Um, but when you are growing your plants, it is fun to harvest them uh, freshly. And if you harvest them carefully, they will keep growing the whole season. I actually had a Swiss chard that lived for, I think it lived for 10 years. And really? I harvested off of this Swiss chard plant. It, it was the best Swiss chard I ever had. And then if you have something like asparagus, you know, it just keeps expanding. And each year you get more and more asparagus. So there's nothing better than just picking fresh asparagus out of your garden and just eating it right there. I mean, it's just awesome. Truly, but, um, there's nothing better than picking out of your own garden. <laughs> and children who have gardens are much more likely to eat those foods than children who are not exposed to that. And they also have found that they have much higher science and math and language scores if they work in a garden. Well, Interesting, I've got a couple <laughs> things I, I want to share with you that hopefully will bring smiles to your face. First, in regards to the essential oils, my kids, probably my wife especially, but my wife and kids know more about essential oils. Whenever there's a, a tummy ache or a fever or a headache or whatever the case may be, a pulled muscle, they know exactly which ones to pull out and, and, and they have their own solutions to that. So our family is, is rife with, with using that. You know, 300 years ago, we'd be called witches and warlocks, but uh, right now we're, we're doing quite well with it. And uh, in regards to urban farming, there's a fellow in Los Angeles who is going around and teaching the youth of the inner cities of LA on how to basically build your garden on the out the sidewalks outside of apartments and, and homes. So that green stretch right in between the parking area and the sidewalk, they're turning into gardens. And talk about uh, a, a way of accessing organic farming and organic foods in a, an affordable way, because that's the other thing we, we haven't talked about, Nancy, is, is that uh, for at least for the last, I say, when organic foods really started to emerge was, I would say, the, the mid-90s into the early 2000s. So for the last 25 years or so, it's really been making a, a tremendous push. I, of course, it dates back before that, but really where the popularity started to build. But unfortunately, the, the cost of organic foods uh, is is not nearly comparable to fast foods or conventionally grown foods, but we're seeing uh, that that's kind of leveling off. Uh, how would you recommend to people that are low income or have a, a really restricted fixed income, a budget that's very low, how can they access organic living? What, what are the simplest yeah. ways that they could go? Yeah, that's very close and dear to my heart. Um, I actually helped them start some farmers markets. I, I was part with uh, Reno Valentine up in uh, Brooklyn, the Bronx. I mean, uh, there were parts of uh, Manhattan and uh, the New York City area where there were food deserts, right? There's no fresh food. There's hardly any even any grocery stores and they started fundraisers and they would put a farmer's market right across the street from the hospital and they paid a doc uh, a farmer to show up once a week and they just started small and they started taking food stamps and they would as an incentive they'd say you know if you spend five dollars on fresh food then we'll give you three dollars back Nice. Right. 
So they were incentivizing it. And, and, and last, last thing I heard, which was about a year ago, because I go up there frequently because my daughter was working for the Attorney General of New York. Um, she, uh, there was like four or five of these farmers markets that had, that had happened. And I think, you know, get your church, get your community to get together and either start one or find out if maybe there's a, a deserted lot in your area that you could start a garden with. You could do it with some youth clubs. Uh, I was just down in Houston last week and I noticed that there were some vacant lots down there that were being turned into community gardens, very similar to the ones I've seen in Manhattan. And you know, I think this is something more and more people are really interested in. And, if, and we need to get together. We need to get together as community and we need to connect. And so I would say, you know, do it with whatever volunteer group you're with. And I know people seem really isolated right now. And I believe that getting outside, getting in nature, doing this kind of thing, putting your hands in the earth, that is one of the most satisfying, relaxing, healthy things you can possibly do for you and your whole whole community. I believe we're all connected. I believe everything that we do affects someone else. And so I, I know a lot of people in this last year have felt a little bit powerless or, or anxiety, or I know depression's at an all time high and uh, there's a lot of suicide. Uh, and so, you know, the more you can get involved in your community to start things like this, I think they can really offset that kind of thing and help channel that, that anxiousness into something that's calming and healthy. And I think also connecting with the earth and getting that Schumann resonance from the earth's uh, vibration, that is, is incredibly healthy for us. And we should do that 20 minutes every day minimum because we get disconnected with our, our shoes and the rubber and the cement. And uh, these electromagnetic fields like the computers and the cell phones, they put off a chaotic energy that disrupts our own vibration. And so when, when we get connected with the earth and get that grounding, then we, we start to heal and it takes you out of this chaotic fight or flight mode that that tends to do. And, and what these electromagnetic fields will do, and this is part of being married to an environmental trial lawyer for 23 years, but uh, it makes the electrons around certain molecules, uh, around oxygen molecules turn in such a way that your blood isn't able to access the blood. So it makes your blood kind of clump up. And so you want your blood to be flowing and to, to you know, um, be really healthy. And so you want to go get grounded. You want to protect yourself from a lot of this over accumulation of electricity in the body. And I do believe plants can help you do that and detoxify from that. So, so things like shoes and take they, a walk through the woods or, or somewhere. Absolutely. That. And the trees put off terpenes, which can actually heal you. They actually do forest therapy in Japan. And it's, it actually can help you heal and it oxygenates your, your blood. And so 
I, I think, you know, that's part of the organic lifestyle that I really recommend, no matter where you are, go out, you find you a tree, <laughs> find you a little patch of land that you can go sit and be outside with nature and uh, try to get grounded and, and get that uh, beautiful resonance from Mother Earth in, into your body. And, uh, and especially if you have kids, do, do this with your children, do this as a family you know, have community picnics, you know, we need to get out and start, you know, connecting again and, and you know, be there for each other. And um, recently, I, I started, I joined a, a women's volunteer group. Uh, and uh, we're, we're having a big fundraiser this week for the, the ch children's youth services here in the area. And, you know, if you're feeling, you uh, like you're powerless or whatever, doing any of these things, starting a garden or volunteering, those are empowering and they will raise, raise your self-esteem. They will make you feel better. They will make you feel happier. And, uh, you know, and I think it's, you know, body, mind, soul, you know, those types of things are food for your soul. Hmm. And, and, you know, I think, you know, any of those things, uh, can benefit all of us wherever we are. And if you have access to healthy organic seeds, uh, you know, start growing those and save your seeds and let them go to seed and uh, get more seeds. <laughs> start a seed exchange. <laughs> and you also brought up earlier that you enjoy uh, raw food cuisine. I can't call it cooking because it's raw food. So therefore, you know, creating uh, dishes with raw food, I'm curious because I'm, I'm wondering how, how much raw food do you recommend somebody having? Because of course we hear something that's beneficial for us and, and the typical way of, uh, is that we go to the nth degree and we don't practice moderation. So I understand the importance of something picked fresh off the vine or plucked from the tree and so on. But how much of your diet do you recommend being made up of raw food? Yes, I do believe in raw food. And part of that, part of the reason for that is that most people are eating dead food. And there's Dr. Pop, P-O-P-P, -P, this wonderful scientist who's been studying DNA for decades. And he's done all kinds of cool experiments using different types of food, foods that are grown humanely, foods that are not, foods that are grown in this kind of soil or that kind of soil. And he found that all of these foods put out a vibrancy and a vibration. And what I found is when I work with people who have you know, really serious health issues, like you know, stage four cancer or diabetes or something, most of them on a raw food, whole food, fresh organic food diet, their, their body just transforms. It's almost miraculous. Hmm. And they're just, they're getting this nutrition. They're getting that vibrancy. They're getting that harmonic frequency into their DNA, right? They're, they're getting the electrons around the molecules to spin to the left. And so they're really getting deep cellular nutrition. So I tell people, you know, most of the time, if you can eat really 60 to 80% raw food, which would be just whole real food in its whole real form, right? Like eat an orange instead of drinking orange juice, right? Get that healthy fiber 
as well as all the nutrition in that orange. And the fiber is actually the prebiotic, which feeds the probiotics, which are our immune system. So our immune system actually needs these fibers in order to survive. So people who are not eating whole real food are not getting this, this fiber in their diet, they're missing out, their, their immune system starving to death. So I would say in the summer, when food is fresher, wherever you are, uh, I tend to eat maybe even almost 100% sometimes raw food. But I don't think we have to be extremists. And I think you can, you know, decide where you are in the world and what is going to work best for you. I know in the, in the winter months when it's cold, I really thrive well if I can have a warm soup now and then. And so, you know, things like root vegetable soups are some, one of my favorite things. And, and we like to chew. Um, so, you know, I, I think... Um, raw food actually makes you chew your food more and it also makes you spend a little bit more time on it i worked as a raw food chef and nutritionist for uh the actor larry hagman when he had throat cancer and diabetes for six months and i will tell you uh fixing three meals a day for a very very ill person uh who um i, I who had never eaten like this before. <laughs> it was very labor intensive and it, you know, trying to do a different meal all the time. But if you can you know, learn a few different ones that you like and add them to your regimen, sometimes it gets easier if you kind of start doing it more regularly. And then maybe you can add another one later on. But I always start people on maybe just a raw food smoothie in the morning if they're not used to doing this kind of thing. And uh, that way you get intense nutrition and you can get a whole lot of, of uh, raw food enzymes into your body easily. And I, I always started my kids off with that, especially when they were in school, because frequently they would have late lunches or they'd go to school so early and this smoothie, it, it's so intense. If you, if you get such intense nutrition into your body, you don't feel hungry. So if you're eating more raw, whole, real food, you will find that you're going to eat less because your, food, your body's getting fed on a deep cellular level. Mm -hmm. I look at people that are on like fast food, processed food diets, and they're always hungry. And I, I feel like they're all walking around starving to death because their body's not getting nutrition. And so they're always hungry because number one, they add chemicals to it that are addictive so that you are craving it more, but also there's no nutrition in it. So your body's craving that nutrition and hoping that the next time you eat, it's going to get some. <laughs> so what about... Uh putting a little bit of the raw food cuisine off to the side for people that are just starting to kind of integrate that in, what would be your go-to plant-based cooked kind of dish? What do you really love to present to people when you're offering or introducing them to a plant-based cuisine? Yes, I do have some favorites and I suppose my sweet potato asparagus soup is one of my all time most popular. And uh, I would frequently make that even like 
for big buffets that I would have friends over to. And that's a really easy thing to do. If, if you're not used to cooking, and I know a lot of people today are just now learning how to cook. Some people I've had to even teach how to use a blender. But soups are very easy and then you can blend them up. And so they're easy to drink. So anyone who is struggling with their health and needs intense nutrition, like an elderly parent or, or you know, even a child that maybe be a picky eater, you can get them to drink a little smoothie or a, a warm soup. Uh, you can get some really great nutrition into them. Uh, I also like to make, well, I'm from Texas. I make an awesome vegetarian chili <laughs> and curry uh, and uh, broccoli lasagna. Oh, now these must be in one of your cookbooks <laughs> or maybe probably several of them. Where, what, what are the titles of some of your cookbooks or books that you have? So I have the How to Be a Healthy Vegetarian, which is in its second edition, and it's indexed. And it's the one that's used by most of the medical professionals in their practice. And then I have Raising Healthy Children, which has a lot of the recipes that I raised my children on. And uh, Diabetes and Your Diet, which is actually raw food. Raw and vegan food is what will really help anyone who has diabetes and if you can stick to that uh, you can get off of i have seen it you can get off of uh, all your medications within a month and feel better than you've ever felt within a month wow oh absolutely uh, dr anderson did an extremely good clinical study in the 90s where he took a large group of type 1 diabetics and type 2 diabetics 25 of each and he put them on the standard diabetic diet for a week to just kind of get them all in the same place, right? And then he took them all and he put them on a plant-based diet for three weeks. Wow. He didn't even focus on the superfoods that are really great for reversing diabetes. He just put them on plant-based foods for three weeks. What, they, what really surprised him is they thought the type one diabetics wouldn't help, hurt them at all help them at all I mean uh, but all of them were able to uh, take get taken off of at least 40 percent of their medications within that three-week period which really astounded them and then the the type 2 diabetics and 40 percent is a pretty big amount to cut down on your medications only after three weeks and then the type two diabetics, every single one of them by the end of that three weeks were off all their medications, Fantastic. except except one. And that one guy had been on like 32 units of insulin a day when he started and he was down to only eight. And he continued on the program and in, a, in about four, four weeks, four to six weeks, he was off all of his medications. So a plant-based diet is astoundingly powerful. <laughs> uh, so I was going to use astounding as my word. Don't you feel it astounding that there is still this disconnect with the average person and their, their almost disbelief that they are what they eat, that no matter what they put in their body, somehow it will have this miraculous filter of only pulling out what it needs. But 
it's truly, it's true that we are what we eat. So if we, if we give it what it needs, what it longs for in healthy, whole foods, then how can the results be anything but beneficial? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a huge proponent of this and I, I saw it happen in my own body <laughs> when, when I started changing what I ate. And I have found that if you can cut down on the creature foods, uh, T. Colin Campbell found that in his studies with the China study and some other studies he did with uh, uh, poverty in the Philippines, he found that when your diet gets over 10% of creature protein, can be dairy, eggs, fish, chicken, any of them. They all act differently in the body than plant-based foods. He found that tumors formed after you got over about 10% total. So I try to teach people where they can switch off things. You know, where can you switch off using dairy milk for maybe an unsweetened coconut milk or you know, how can, you know, how can you use an omega-3, which is an anti-inflammatory essential oil that supports your brain health, which our body doesn't make, we have to get it from food. So how do you, instead of doing fish oil, which could have mercury contamination and not be very high in the omega-3s, you know, switch off to a cold pressed hemp seed oil or something like that. Um, you know, so I teach people how to switch off and do things uh, in that way. But like my uh, lose weight, get healthy, and never be on a diet again book <laughs> is, is all vegan recipes, and it's all raw food as well. And oh, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll to put all that information below the description with this podcast for sure, and, and how to order those books, because it sounds like I could use a few extra recipes. And, and raw food is actually, aside from different salads, of course, that I, I enjoy making, I think there's probably a few more dishes that I could create to kind of better balance out our diet here at home. So Nancy, I, I, I could go on for another hour with you just talking uh, about organic living and food and cuisine. My gosh, that would be just wonderful. But I, I do want to respect your time. So I, if people want to listen to more about organic living and, and your, have your guidance, what can they do? Well, I have a lot of information on my website, which is organichealthylife.com. Uh, and if you go there at the very top in the middle of the banner at the top, it has my iHeartRadio link for my podcast show. And uh, so I do a weekly podcast and, and I talk about things like this and I, I have some great uh, people on my shows and I have about 57,000 downloads a month now in over 58 countries and I consider them to be part of my family. <laughs> all, those, all my, all my organic, healthy life people. <laughs> well, thanks for expanding your family to the listening audience here. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I am honored to be here. And just remember to add that main ingredient whenever you're fixing your food. And that main ingredient's always love. Oh, perfect. <laughs> And that's it for another episode of the RockFit Files. I want to thank Nancy Addison for coming on and sharing all about healthy organic living. And be sure to go to her website and, in fact, iHeartRadio. Listen to her podcast and learn a little bit more. We'll see you next week.